Hello, friend, and welcome to Write Medicine, a weekly podcast that explores best practices in creating content that connects with and educates health professionals. I'm your host, Alex Housen, a longtime medical writer who shifted from a career as a trauma OR nurse into academia and then transitioned from academia into freelance writing in continuing medical education. I've built a sustainable six-figure business that specializes in creating and evaluating educational content for health professionals, and I use my expertise in education and healthcare to guide rich, honest conversations about the practice of creating CME content with intention. And I teach medical writers how to create CME content with confidence. Write Medicine is here to offer you guidance and strategies as you navigate all phases of CME. Come and join our thoughtful, provocative and valuable conversations about adult learning, teaching platforms, content creation techniques, effective formats in CME and trends in healthcare that influence the type of content we create. Right Medicine is here to motivate you to learn and grow as a CME professional. Wherever you are in the content creation process, If your work involves planning, designing, delivering or evaluating education for health professionals, this podcast is for you. This episode of Write Medicine is brought to you by Write CME Pro, a membership-driven community that provides skills, scaffolding and support for medical writers who want to create CME content with confidence. Write CME Pro gives you access to expert perspectives to help you build your CME writing skills, a portfolio accelerator to hold space so that you can create stunning samples to show your prospects, group coaching to help you build foundational and expert knowledge in CME and more. Write CME Pro is a community for people like you who are ready to grow their CME writing niche or niche, if that's how you say it. See the show notes for more details. Simulated case-based educational formats allow radiologists to develop their skills in a safe environment, learning from experts without the risks involved in clinical care. This is exactly what Modality specializes in. On today's episode, Dr. Deanna Heyer, Head of Educational Strategy and Operations at Modality, shares how the company replicates side-by-side training through asynchronous and synchronous learning options, and how it uses performance outcomes to enhance its approach to medical education. While the micro-learning model offers asynchronous, flexible case-based learning, Faculty provide personalised feedback on both clinical and communication skills via synchronous learning. So join us for a conversation about how to use productivity metrics to assess outcomes and engage the confidence, accuracy and effectiveness of learners for a conversation about mentorship and a conversation about how Modality is partnering with the American Association of Women in Radiology to diversify its faculty and balance out this male-dominated field. Welcome, Deanna. Hi, Alex. It's great to be with you. It's good to be with you, too. We've had some tech trouble getting into this recording, so we're here now. Glad to see you. So please 
tell listeners of the podcast a little bit about who you are and what you do and how you find your way into continuing medical education. Sure. Well, I definitely consider myself one of the lucky ones to have found my way into medical education. I was actually a scientist. So I was a biochemist at Emory University getting my doctorate and was on that path of becoming a professor and fell in love with just kind of the writing and presenting side of science and kind of Mm. translating what was happening in the lab to different audiences, whether they were students or professors, and learned about medical communications and education as an alternative career towards the end of my doctorate research and went into freelancing with some mentoring from others and just found a love for just intersecting science and communication. And that's kind of where I come from. So it's a little bit of a different background maybe than others. And yet it's probably a background that a lot of listeners share, um, especially listeners coming from academia or coming from a clinical practice background. So I want to dig in just a little bit more to, you know, you said a couple of things there. One is you found out about CME toward the end of your postgraduate. So how did you find out about it? Yeah, so actually, I started in news writing. So, you know, a lot of us get to go to conferences, present our research. And I was at the ASCB, the Cell Biology Conference of the Year, and met people who were doing news writing at the conference and ended up then working with Reuters and MedWriter, DocWriter, a few of the groups at the time that were covering Mm -hmm. medical conferences. And so then moved from doing science conferences to the medical conferences and started learning a lot about the clinical trials and all the advances going on on the medical side. And it built from there, just really felt, as I said, really lucky to have found something I was really passionate about and could carry forward outside of the lab. And it turned into medical education. So luckily with you know a PhD background, I was able to I guess, get into the field of medical education by understanding the science behind it and coming from academia, understanding some of the faculty perspectives and just really loved working with the faculty to teach. So I did get to teach a little bit also in my graduate work. And so being able to combine just what I learned about course design and course development and adult learning theory and leading that towards a career in medical education. So that's kind of how it all started. And so it's fun to think about it 20 years later, I guess, how we all come about from different backgrounds. Absolutely. But you kind of carry those key skills with you and you're able to kind of put them to good use, moving, you know, transferring them from one setting to another. And I think that's something that certainly a lot of writers, maybe other people working in this uh, field as well, worry about a little bit is, you know, are the skills that I've developed in this other setting, whether it's academia or bench science or clinical practice, transferable to the continuing medical education space. And I think what I see again and again is absolutely those skills are transferable. You just need to kind of find the right, explore what the right niche or niche might be for you within within CME. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, what your current work involves? Yeah. So as I said, I've been doing CME now for about 20 years and so moved from medical writer into developing programs with faculty. So putting together mostly online medical education and 
worked in oncology, cardiology, and now I found myself in the field of radiology, which I'm really finding fascinating. So a lot of the work I was doing before was more on the treatment side and now working more in the diagnostic side and just really seeing the huge impact that education can have in the diagnostic setting and setting patients on the right path for their treatment plans that, you know, result from imaging a lot of times. And so I'm currently at Modality, and this is a startup company that I joined just a couple of years ago. And we basically have been putting together a very different type of educational platform. It's called a practice development platform. And so it's an online training tool where basically you come on and you're able to actually work through cases. And so it's a simulated case-based type of educational format. So you're not just reading about it or listening to somebody talk about how to do it, but you actually get to apply your own skills while you're going through the cases, which I'm just finding really fun. You know, it's we do it in a very engaging way. The radiologists love it and they get to do it in a safe environment. So mm-hmm. the thing about the best learning, right, what we all know is that it has to be the safe environment where somebody can come on, try things out. They're learning from the experts as they're doing this. And there's, you know, you don't have the risks that you have in clinical care. If you do make a mistake, you can learn from it in that safe environment. So can you talk a little bit more about how the cases are developed and how they're presented to the learners? What's involved in that process? Yeah. So what's really interesting is it's a very apprenticeship-based type of model in radiology where the more cases you see, the better you are, right? Your your eyes are Mm -hmm. trained by following certain search patterns and that leads you down the right path, right? And then once you find a lesion, how to characterize it appropriately and efficiently. And so what our model does is we work with faculty who actually go through the same case that the learner has in front of them. So in radiology, the environment is at the computer or at their workstation, which works really well for an online learning format. So they can actually pull up and read alongside the expert. So you're watching, you know, the, the world's expert in, let's say, neuroradiology go through a brain CT, and you have that same exact CT open, and you're able to walk through it in the same way that they are. So it's that learn by doing, you know, side of mm-hmm. education that we know yeah. is really most effective. And is that synchronous? Is it real time or is it, 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 has the faculty already kind of pre-recorded the case and, you know, for the, how does that work? So we do it both ways, actually. So most people right now like asynchronous models, you know, kind of learn as you have the time. It's also a micro learning model. So each case is somewhere between three and seven minutes long that they're going to mm-hmm. watch that video. And so they can just work through as many cases as they like on their own time. So those sessions are pre-recorded. And then we also have synchronous models where you go through the cases and then you meet with the faculty member and they kind of talk through what you missed. Because the other aspect of radiology, which is really fascinating, right, is it's not just how good you are at finding the lesion, but you then have to communicate it to the referring provider. Right. So there's a whole communication and reporting side of skill development that they need to have. So we also help people in that setting as well. So they'll review a case, they'll write a report, and then they'll get personalized feedback from the faculty member to 
kind of grade them and help them with the language that they're using in their reports to make them the most effective. So how many faculty do you have to kind of partner with in order to, or collaborate with in order to get the volume of feedback that you need for all these cases or all these learners? Yeah. Well, that's the really fun part. I love working with our faculty just through the years. It's been really great. And so we have over 300 faculty that we've worked with just in the oh, last wow. three years. Yeah. yeah. So in radiology, there tends to be subspecialization. And so a faculty member might be a you know, a neuroradiologist, or they may be an expert in breast imaging. And so depending on the type of course that we're teaching, we would work with a different faculty member, and then they would run through a series of those cases along with the students. And what's your process for identifying faculty? Because that, that seems to be a bit of an, an art, you know, in its yes. own terms. And also identi- identifying faculty in a way that Builds in some diversity to your yeah. faculty. I imagine that's something that is important in it's important in everything, but uh, obviously yeah. in, in radiology, where you you're really kind of focusing on perspective and interpretation. Yeah, you touched on a couple really important things. So the way we identify the faculty, the great thing, and I don't know if this is radiology specific, but there's a lot of mentorship value. Mm-hmm in radiology because it is so apprenticeship-based, like in residency and fellowship, they're literally sitting side by side reviewing cases together. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of great educators because there is a more personal experience that they have in in that training setting. Yeah. And so we've been able to find some really great faculty that just love teaching and teaching by cases is even easier, right? Because that's what they do day to day. That's what they love doing. You don't have to make a 200 slide PowerPoint, right? You can just do what you know. You do what you know and you know it best and you're kind of just teaching the next generation. It's not even generational though. I mean, internationally. So the model's more accessible than a lot of other training programs. So usually people will have to go on site to get this type of training. But I mean, we have radiologists all over the world that are interacting with faculty here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and abroad. And it's to help with the diversity aspect that you were saying, like we're really reaching a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And diversity is something that I think they are challenged by in radiology. It is definitely a more male-dominated industry. And some of that's changing, though. So we've partnered with groups like the American Association of Women in Radiology recently to make sure we're getting faculty representation in our learning platform. So that's been a really great partnership. And we really, that's something just internally at our particular company that we're really striving to make sure we have diversity in our faculty. Deanna, is that unusual in CME to have a very specific and strategic approach to faculty diversification? I wonder. I've definitely felt it more at my current company that we are committed to having more voices at the table. Mm -hmm. I think radiology is just such an interesting field, you know, particularly after going through COVID, they've been very advanced in teleradiology also, and just being able to continue to do your work during the pandemic. I feel radiology was one of those fields that was able to adapt. And actually our company started the year of the pandemic. And so faculty were looking for ways to teach, you know, they wanted these online models and how could they replicate that side-by-side training experience in a different way. And so that all kind of came together for us to be able to keep teaching and keep getting the education out there even during that time. 
Yeah, it's interesting how some of the ways that the pandemic has really kind of forced innovation. Yeah. And, you know, different and more doable and workable ways of of actually sort of doing things and and doing education. Something you said earlier that I I wanted to just kind of pick up on, because a lot of your work obviously involves working with faculty. And you said earlier, that's one of the things that you really enjoyed, you know, as you and you moved from writing to working more strategically with faculty. Can you talk a little bit about what that move, what that shift looks like? Because I think you know, for a lot of people who end up in continuing medical education, faculty can seem a little bit, the idea of working closely with faculty can seem a little bit daunting and challenging. So what kind of, what kind of mindset do you need? What kind of skill set do you need in order to work productively with faculty to get the right content for your programs? Yeah, I mean, I guess I never thought about it, but the way I like to approach it is I'm just always I want to learn from them, you know, putting myself in that position of being the learner who's going to be listening to them and approaching it by wanting to really understand the topic through their eyes, you know, and their their teaching. And so coming at it with that mindset that you're there to learn from them, but you have to understand what you bring to the table also, right? So they have the subject matter expertise in their medical specialty but you're bringing your subject matter expertise in how to put together a great course, you know, how to succinctly communicate the educational teaching points. And some faculty are better at that than others, right? And so, you know, being able to know that that's what you bring to the table and what they're bringing to the table will make it a better course overall. So I've just been really lucky to work with people who are in it because they love to teach. They love to educate. And then they end up educating me, which, you know, helps me to be a better writer, a better CME manager, you know, to be able to develop these programs. And in the space that, that you're in with, with radiology and the practice-based model that you're, that you're developing at your company, you know, how do you approach assessment? What, what's your, mm-hmm. what kind of assessment framework do you use? How do you apply that in practice? Yes. Well, this is actually a huge area of innovation for us right now. So, you know, it's one thing to have a great educational model that people are telling you they like and it's engaging and they love it, but really being able to assess how they're doing, helping them to actually develop their skills is where we are currently at. So we actually work with imaging practices and hospital systems to help their radiologists develop their skills. So an interesting challenge that they have in radiology is it is a multi-specialty type of medical specialty. So you are a radiologist and you might have to read a chest x-ray and then a brain CT. So you may be reading all different things in your given day. And you are going to feel more confident at reading some of those than others. But your employer is expecting you to be able to read all of these different types of scans. And so we are able to help those radiologists develop that confidence you know, you're, if you haven't really read something since you were in residency, you're not going to feel as confident and you may miss something. And so they are able to then work within our learning format to learn that specialty, you know, gain that confidence, get more accurate, make sure you're not making misses, and then really get more efficient at it also. Mm-hmm. Radiology is a little more 
business-minded than maybe some other medical specialties. So there's a lot of data and metrics of how efficiently they can review their cases. And so that's the area we've focused in. So we are looking to improve their confidence, their accuracy, and their efficiency because the volumes are increasing and there is a shortage of radiologists. So, you know, really helping them to know what to do when I get that type of case. I've seen this before. I know, you know, I know exactly what my search pattern needs to be and they come out more confident and more efficient. So assessment wise, I think was your original question. What we are doing. Yeah. So what we are able to do is starting at the very beginning, we do a needs assessment with Mm -hmm. the clinicians. And so we get a gauge from them hey, which of these subspecialties are you feeling more or less confident in? So some of it is a little bit about them knowing their own skills, skill set, the level that mm-hmm. they're at, and then finding the areas where they're not confident, but they are interested in education, and we connect them then to the right training courses. We can right. then assess them because they're looking at the cases, right? We can assess mm-hmm. whether they got the diagnosis right and how long it took them. Mm-hmm. And then we can put them through the training course and assess them again on how well are they able to do, let's say, spine MRI cases. And so we are able to actually show them progress as they're doing training. So it's not all going to happen at once, right? Everything is a continuum. And so they're continually developing through this practice-based model. So that's where I get really excited is just seeing how we can have that impact because we are seeing how much improvement is happening the more cases they they get through. So, you know, rather than working with an amorphous group, you're working with specific settings to help them with those productivity me- metrics that you talked about earlier in terms of efficiency and, and speed and, and so on. Two questions there. One to do with the needs assessment itself. Mm-hmm. Are you taking a different approach or what kind of approach are you taking to the needs assessment process because presumably you have access to kind of people on the ground, as it were, versus having to rely reasonably heavy on the literature and uh, Mm -hmm. what's already out there in the published domain. Yes, it is a little different than we traditionally think of needs assessment because it Mm -hmm. is more practice-based. So we are able to tell from the individual, right? We're able to know what that specific radiologist needs are and connect Mm -hmm. them to address that gap that they're having, right? So we can do it at the individual level, but then we also do it at the practice level. So for instance, chest pain guidelines changed last year. I'll just give an example. And it has led to increasing volumes in cardiac CT. Not a lot of people were seeing a lot of cardiac CT. And now because of the increased volumes, more people need to get confident at that. And so we know from the literature, from changes in guidelines, that now there's this gap in the number of readers that are going to be proficient at reading cardiac CT. And we can now train more people in that so that they're ready as those volumes increase. Mm -hmm. And then finally, just as we work with the different imaging practices, we really get great insights into what their needs are. So let's say they Mm -hmm. want to start up a nuclear medicine division or they want to accept new contracts in breast imaging they are able to enroll their radiologists in our training programs. And so they can meet those specific types of needs that they have as a business as well. Right. Oh, that's so interesting and and quite distinct. So I want to get to outcomes. But before that, you mentioned about tracking individuals through their 
progression, their learning progression and their competence growth. Yeah. So how long would a learner stick around in the, you know, in, in your learning world? Yeah, I mean, we have, so we've been doing this for three years now as a company. And basically the way that they enroll is annually. So people have, you know, come back year after year to continue doing courses on the site. We've also been able to expand into new areas. And so because there are so many subspecialties within radiology that they need to feel confident in, we're able to keep developing content that's relevant to a radiologist because they have to know so much. I mean, it's really a fascinating field, how much they have to know. And, you know, I think your question was just how long do people stay? What's nice is because of that microlearning model I mentioned, Mm -hmm. They can review, you know, little by little, just whenever they have time. And we've heard some pretty funny things, people doing it during Super Bowl commercials or, you know, but they're really fitting it in because that's the hard thing, right, about any continuing professional development is how do you fit it in? And it has to become more of like a lifestyle, right? You want to learn and you have to fit it into your daily routines. And that's what we try to really yeah. do with this model to make it really accessible because nobody has time. People don't have as much time to go yeah. to conferences and on-site, you know, take you away for days. People maybe don't want to do that anymore and be away from families. And so this allows them to just do it at their own pace. So that you used a particular phrase about life, lifestyle learning. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe I, I, I kind of concocted that, but you did, you did say something about lifestyle. And so that's really interesting because you know, on the one hand, you often hear clinicians talking about, yeah, they have, I mean, they have to do C CME and CE, mm -hmm. but it becomes a bit of a checklist mm -hmm. on the one hand. On the other hand, particularly from the CME community, we want to kind of promote the idea of lifelong learning and can, and reinforce that. And so that idea of lifestyle learning is interesting. And one of the things that strikes me there is if you are doing your, you know, CME, mm -hmm while you're on the soccer field watching your kids play soccer or football. I'm from you know, <laughs> Scotland, so we yeah. call it football. What about, what role does distraction, you know, there's mm -hmm. the potential for distraction as you're learning is potentially yeah. high there. Is that something kind of on the radar when you're designing micro learning activities? Yes. And I think that has a lot to do with what stage you are at in your learning about a topic, right? So, I mean, if mm. you're pretty early and it's a new topic to you, you really want to be very focused. You'd probably want to take that whole course from the beginning to end. And we do see that pretty commonly with our beginner learners. But sometimes it's about reinforcement, right? And so you just yeah. need to kind of have that consistent reinforcement throughout your development. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you had mentioned about CME being a checklist. And throughout my career, it is so true. Some people, you know, you offer CME but most people aren't really doing it for the CME. There's something else that's bringing them to these educational courses. And we're finding that as well. You know, people just like to, it's, I mean, they picked their profession, right? Because they like it, we hope. And so right. they just really love seeing cases. Radiologists love seeing cases and they love hearing other people's perspectives on a case. And hey, what did I think about this? How does that compare to what mm. this other person thought about it? And so if you're gonna, do CME. So let's say it is a checklist item. You might as well do one that you like, right? And that is fun yeah. <laughs> and engaging instead of just feeling like you have to turn on this lecture for an hour so that you can get a CME credit. And that's something we yeah. talk about a lot with our imaging practices is they have to get 
certification. So radiologists have to be certified also in ultrasound or mm-hmm. mammography has federal requirements about how much mammography CME they have to take. And so okay. if you have to meet these requirements in order for you to be credentialed, you might as well have your radiologists do them in a program that's actually going to have a practice impact, right? So instead of sitting in the room and learning, I don't know, about research that maybe will happen 20 years from now, you could have them actually do something that could affect the case that Mm -hmm. they see tomorrow. And so there's a little more of that immediate impact that this type of CME can have that's resonating with people, that it's just more relevant, I think, to what they're doing day to day. Well, I mean, it's the gold standard of professional development and you know, adult learning, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That what you're learning has immediate translation into the practical issues in front of you. And so it sounds like a, a very happy marriage. I know. I see it. Or a partnership. I see it. I do. I see it a lot. You know, I used to educate a lot on clinical trials. And so we'd get very excited about the latest data that would come out at Croy or whatever conference we might be at. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you'd talk to community infectious disease doctors, they're not doing that in their right. day-to-day yet, right? So there's there's a big leap from when, you know, we all know from when it gets FDA approved to when it's actually used in practice. And so we are more fo- focused on what are people doing now in day-to-day practice so that we can start bringing that information in at the right time when they need it instead of it yeah. feeling, you know, kind of separate and research-based. No, it's, it's really exciting, actually, to think about that. Outcomes. What kind of outcomes are you seeing, you know, with the, the with that model of, you know, assessing in place and yeah. providing that reinforcement, the feedback and the, the safe space to learn? Yeah, this is where I got really excited. And when I knew I was hooked um, here is, you know, we started pretty simply with course evaluations. We asked questions subjectively about how do you feel like you have gained confidence? Do you feel like you're more efficient, right? And scores were, you know, in the 98%, 99% and comments that they would make were just how this was like nothing they'd ever done before. So, you know, pretty early on knew we were onto something, but that's all subjective. And so I really wanted to see the more objective data. And we have started doing that now with our needs assessment approach that I mentioned earlier where we're able to actually assess, did they get the diagnosis right? And how long did that take them? So we put a cohort through. So we are doing a little bit of research and case studies on our end now that we have these models. And we put a cohort through our spine MRI training course. And we were able to show both an increase in efficiency and an increase in their accuracy, right? So we reduced the time it took them to go through spine MRI cases, which are pretty complex cases that that they might see. So there's kind of that level where it's, okay, now we're starting to see that objective data that validates what we were seeing from the subjective data. But also we can look at each individual, right? So we can do the scatter plots. And I mean, it's just so validating to see how it moves forward, right? Like we're able to take each individual doctor and see their progress through that training module. So yeah, we're pretty excited about the data. We're actually going to be publishing some data soon on our site about uh, clinical needs that we have gathered from. So we have, I mean, 3,000 radiologists have come through 
our programs. And so we are able to take, you know, some information about their clinical needs to really understand what radiologists are are needing, what type of education, where are they confident, where are they not, Mm -hmm. and how we can move the bar. So it's still early, but pretty exciting on what we can do. And toward the end, if not the final question is, how applicable do you see this practice-based model to other specialties within not only medicine, but pharmacy and uh, possibly nursing too? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that is our goal, I will say, for the long term, is to really take what we're learning in radiology and figure out how we can apply this to other medical specialties to really provide this kind of simulation case-based type of learning outside of imaging. So obviously, imaging is is important not only for radiology, but actually if you move into cardiology, move into OB, right? So imaging touches every single medical specialty when you start to think about it. It all starts with a scan. And so we were thinking a lot about how we take it from here to be able to help other medical specialties as well. And that's, you know, we'll see where things go. That's kind of my background. So at other companies, I really love to develop models where you start and you build a great educational model, and then you have to figure out how to adapt it then for for different medical specialties, for different types of learners and audiences, to your point. In radiology, there's also sonographers, technicians, there's, you know, there's a whole team involved in a lot of Mm -hmm. this. And so they need to get the same type of education and training. And so we're excited to see what goes. Yeah. And so that's all within the the kind of imaging imaging world. I guess I was thinking, yeah, and that, that absolutely makes sense. I guess I was thinking about, you know, other specialties that aren't image heavy, but still perhaps there's the possibility or the potential for that kind of practice-based model where they're thinking about cases, reviewing cases, addressing cases in either synchronous or asynchronous in asynchronous time and getting that feedback from faculty in a much more mm-hmm. granular way than than most CME programs allow for at the moment. I think so too. I mean right now it's about reviewing a a scan, but it mm-hmm. could it could be a pathology slide. It could be a patient interaction and you're getting feedback yeah. on yeah. how you interacted with that patient, right? Yeah. And it could be in the surgical suite. You know, there's, there's, I think there's a lot of places that we could take this model knowing that it works, right? The more that people yeah. learn and practice in these safe spaces, the better they're going to do in those real world settings. So I do think there's a lot to what we're learning in this field that we could apply to other fields. It's really exciting. Anything we haven't covered that you want to share with listeners before we close out? No, I just really appreciate that we connected, Alex. You know, the freelance side, we talked just a very little bit about it, but it is an incredibly wonderful field for those of you who are in freelancing. And I encourage people to reach out to each other because that's how I got here was just building up a network of people who cared a lot about providing good medical education and really understanding what type of education was getting out there. And yeah, just really encouraging people to to learn new things, to keep learning, and that's going to keep elevating the whole field. You've got to be a lifelong learner to work in a community of lifelong learners and a community that, that supports lifelong learning. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And that 
I guess just the final point I'll make that's the piece I love so much about what we're doing right now is that we talk about a lot of theory, adult learning theory and you know, in CME. And it this is a chance to really take somebody's need, right? And fill it with that education that they practically need for their job the next day and to yeah. see that outcome. And I just feel that that's why we do this, right? Is if you're going to spend all these this time developing these great programs, you want to know it's what they actually need and that they're going to have an impact from it. So I have to say, career-wise, this is the closest I feel that I've gotten to fulfill that piece of CME <laughs> that drove me here. I couldn't be a physician. I learned early on I could not stand the sight of blood, unfortunately. And uh, <laughs> I knew I was not going to be a physician. And so this is where I truly feel like I can still have an impact and and how close it feels right now is great. And it starts with a scan. Deanna Heyer, thank you so much for sharing your insights and wisdom with listeners of Right Medicine. Yeah, thank you, Alex. Have a great evening. You too. If you'd like to connect with me or today's guest or access any of the resources we talked about, check out the show notes for this episode. They're on my website, where you'll also find additional resources. Find the show notes at alexhausen.com forward slash write W-R-I-T-E dash medicine dash podcast. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the Write Medicine newsletter, where you'll find bi-weekly tips, tools and resources to help you create continuing medical education content with confidence. And thank you for listening today. Word of mouth is the most meaningful way we can help listeners find us and reach a wider audience. So please share this episode with a friend, a colleague or a client who might find the podcast helpful. And if you enjoy listening to the podcast, please write a favourable review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or share your testimonial on the dedicated testimonial link, which is also in the show notes.